Well, good morning. My name is Ray Warwick, um, and uh, I can tell that uh, this is a pulpit that's built for John Leader <laughs> because I can barely see over the top of it. <laughs> so I'm, I need a little box or something to stand on. Um, I don't have his, his height. So um, I've been away for the last few weeks. I've been teaching in Africa. Some of you know that, and I know that some of you have been praying for me there, and I appreciate that very much. God gave us uh, an excellent time in Africa, and uh, we're thankful for for the opportunity to serve him in that way. A pastor leader asked me to teach the Sunday school class this week and while he's away, and so uh, uh, in order to uh, ask for the Lord's help, um, let me just begin with a word of prayer. Okay, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that we have of meeting together on this day. And as we here at Pacific Hope has been have been going through uh, just an overview of the scriptures today, Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, be able to think clearly and to understand the material that you have for us to to get today. Help me, Lord, to present it in a way that is is beneficial to the brethren, and uh, our desire, Father, is that you would be the one who would receive all the glory for this, and and this would equip us to know you better and to serve you better in the days ahead. So we commit this time to you, and uh, we'll thank you for it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, unfortunately, I've been away for the last few weeks, and so I haven't been able to keep up to date, so so uh, I'm sorry that I missed the lessons the last few weeks, but I know that we've, we find ourselves in, in our journey through the Old Testament coming to the book and the prophet Jeremiah. So if you would open your Bibles to, to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, one of the uh, major prophets in the Old Testament and... Uh, and I, I believe last week um, you looked at Isaiah, one of the major prophets as well. And so now we come to the book of Jeremiah. Actually, Jeremiah is one of the longer books in the whole Bible. And um, uh, so um, it's also a, a kind of a, a difficult book to really find your way through, to navigate through, because it's not written in a chronological order. Um, Jeremiah the prophet is is really more thematic in his approach. And so we're just going to be able to just touch on some of the highlights uh, as we go through Jeremiah. Okay. Um, Jeremiah is a story of a man of great courage and faithfulness and devotion. The prophet Jeremiah had a very, very difficult task. As you can well imagine, uh, his task was to go to the nation, the, the, the people of Judah, and to proclaim to them the coming destruction and God's judgment upon them. And uh, his focus primarily was toward the religious leaders, to the priests and the, and the other teachers in the nation of Judah. Um, he also spoke to the kings who were there, but in his case, his, his focus was primarily to the religious leaders. And so some of the things that Jeremiah had to say to them about the way that they were leading the people of Judah certainly was going to end up in, in him receiving their ire. And sure enough, that's exactly, of course, the response that took place. It would have been nice, I think, uh, if if he could have proclaimed the word of God to them, and, and they would have repented, and um, and really put pressure as they could do on on the uh, the king, the kings that Jeremiah prophesied during their kingdom to lead Judah in a righteous way. But that's not the response of the people of Judah at that time. Rather, the religious leaders became very angry 
Um, and Jeremiah actually not only suffered the the ire of the religious leaders, but the kings, who, King Zedekiah threw him in prison. And so he spent some time in prison. His own family, uh, the book tells us, turned against him. And so Jeremiah was, was a, a very lonely man at that time in Judah. He's sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet. You might hear that periodically. Jeremiah, of course, Jeremiah is the author of the book of Jeremiah, and it's uh, almost universally um, agreed that Jeremiah was also the book of the book of, or excuse me, the author of the book of Lamentations. Of course, to lament is to really have to grieve and, and to weep, and Lamentations is a kind of a continuation of the theme of Jeremiah, where where the author, probably Jeremiah, um, is lamenting over the state of Judah, both their rebellion against God and then the disaster that came to the nation uh, by God as a result of their rebellion. And so Jeremiah uh, does weep in his great and profound grief over what has happened to his nation and to those who were the people of God. It, it grieves him deeply. And some have taken that then to, to assume that Jeremiah was kind of a kind of a um, a very tender, maybe a wimpy kind of guy. But if you read the, the life of Jeremiah at all, you know that's not the case. Jeremiah was a man of great courage. Yes, he had a tender and compassionate heart, and he was sad uh, at, at what was happening to the nation, but he was a man of great courage. It would take a man of great courage and perseverance to take the stand that he took against all the persecution that he underwent and, and remain faithful. And we'll, we'll see as we go through this. There were times in Jeremiah's life where, where he didn't particularly enjoy this calling. And this is something, I think, for some of us to ponder a little bit, and perhaps we'll have time to refer to it uh, uh, later on. But it, it is, I think it is, it, it is um, worthy of our consideration that sometimes in the history of, certainly in Scripture, but perhaps in our own lives, we find ourselves um, being called to do certain things that we don't particularly really want to do. Um, they're hard. Um, we may be afraid. Um, for what for whatever reason maybe the message is uh, is is so significant that we know the response is going to be negative lack of popularity or whatever these kinds of things may be in our own lives i i'm uh, I, I often think of uh, of of preachers who are faithful to the Word of God and proclaim god's truth in spite of contrary to popular opinion within culture, even the Christian culture of the United States. I appreciate very much our pastor's faithful proclamation of God's truth. Some of the things he says, he's not here, so he, you know, I can talk about him. Some of the, some of the things he says um, certainly wouldn't be popular in Christendom out there, um, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but it's like, you know, it hits me right between the eyes as he proclaims God's truth. I'm thankful for the times when, when John speaks God's truth and what God does with that is it applies it, he applies it to my heart. And I have to respond in repentance. Um, you know, that's what preachers are to do. Um, <laughs> And, and we have one that does that. And so I'm grateful for that. Well, Jeremiah was that kind of guy. The problem with Jeremiah is nobody appreciated him. On a daily basis, he was rebuked. He was, he was persecuted. He was criticized. Um, this was his call from God. A difficult, difficult task that he had to do. And yet Jeremiah remained courageous and faithful and devoted to God and his truth. 
And, of course, all that Jeremiah prophesied did, in fact, come to pass. So we're looking back in history a little bit at the nation. And so he was, Jeremiah was a, approximately 20 years old when he was called by God to be a prophet. Um, he was the last prophet of Judah before the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon. Now, just by way of, a, of, of briefly just a little historical context, okay? We know that the northern kingdom of it, when the when the when Israel as a as a nation divided, the the northern kingdom um, uh, became uh, called was called Israel, and um, the southern kingdom was Judah, and in the nation in the the nation of Israel. There had been no good kings, essentially none of the kings of Israel. They rebelled against God's, uh, God's um, line of divine rule, and they, they rebelled also against God's order. They rejected God as God and began to worship idols and, and go in, in directions that were contrary to the, to the word of God. And so the northern kingdom of Israel was very, very rebellious. And we know that in 722 B.C., um, uh, they fell to Assyria. The Assyrians came in, conquered them, dispersed the nation, took many of, many of uh, those of Israel into captivity. And uh, essentially Israel was no more. Never came back, actually, as, as that nation. Uh, later on, by the way, their their uh, capital was in Samaria, and uh, so um, later on, when the when the people began to return from from the exile, we'll, I think I think we're going to get into that a little bit next week. But when they began to return, um, uh, many of of those Jews began to intermarry with the Gentiles there, and that was the beginning of the Samaritans. And, of course, we know about the Samaritans, how much the Jews hated the Samaritans in the New Testament times. Um, That's where they came from. They came from this land, these rebellious people who, when they came back, began to intermarry, and so they were kind of a half-breed of Jews. And, and of course, one of the marks of, of the old Pharisaical Judaism, actually probably it may still be the case, I don't know, was you know a very very real sense of self righteousness as the people of God and so they despised the Samaritans but that was that was all part of the Northern Kingdom and uh, that took place in 722 B.C. the Southern Kingdom of Judah remained for for several years and and there was a mixture of that kingdom of some good kings and some evil kings. And we read about them and, and, uh, and the good things that they did and, and, and many of the evil things that they did. So Jeremiah um, came, be, received his call to be a prophet about the time that Babylon was developing the Babylonian Empire. Okay, in, the wor- in the world picture, Assyria was the dominating world power. But... but uh, with the help of, of the Medes and others, the Babylonians conquered Assyria and began to develop the, the, the Babylonian Empire. Daniel talks about this progression in his prophecy. And so that was about the time of Jeremiah, when, when Babylon was just beginning to become the world-dominating empire. And, uh, and Judah, at that time then, was, was trying to... <coughs> They were vacillating a little bit in terms of their um, allegiances. I suppose this is politically clever, but they were trying to determine who would, who would give them the most help and afford them the most freedoms because they weren't particularly powerful anymore as a nation. Babylon was, was a monster that was growing to their east, and they recognized this because, of course, the Babylonian warriors made various forways over in, forays over into uh, into the to the land, uh, but also to the south was Egypt, and Egypt was still a powerful nation, and so the the people of Judah were were kind of determining now who who are they going to go along with here? Is it the Babylonians or are they going to go along with the Egyptians? And so that became an issue um, as time went on, especially as as Babylon began to increase in its 
power and influence on the world picture there. So, uh, so Judah found themselves subject to both Babylon and to Egypt during this time. Jeremiah prophesied uh, initially in the days of King Josiah. Now, King Josiah, if you'll recall, was the last good king of Judah. And uh, during the rule, he also prophesied during the rule of Josiah's sons and grandson. Now, perhaps some of these names will, will matter to you, but I'm just going to review them quickly. Josiah's uh, son, Jehoahaz, he was Josiah's second son, and he was made king by the people of Judah after uh, Josiah's death. And uh, Josiah died fighting Pharaoh Necho in 609 B.C. So um, uh, Jehoahaz was made the king, but he was only king for three months because Pharaoh Necho, who was victorious both over Josiah and was exercising his might and power, um, uh, replaced Jehoahaz with his brother Eliakim, and he named him Jehoiakim. Okay, so those of you who had some Old Testament Sunday school lessons in the past, remember some of these names. So Jehoiakim became the king of Judah. He was not a good king. He, um, he, he followed after idols, brought in idolatry, didn't follow after his father's um, leadership, and so he was king from 609 to 598 B.C. Jehoiakim's son a fellow by the name of Jehoiachin. What a great name. I mean, I've got, I've got two boys here, and I named them normal names, but, I, you know, Jehoiachin would have been a great name. <laughs> I like it. Anybody, no, no, okay, they don't agree. All right, well then, anyway, Jehoiachin uh, succeeded Jehoiakim on the throne, but he was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. So you can see the influence... Egypt from the south and, and Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon from, the, from their east, um, fighting over uh, uh, controlling the nation of Judah. Uh, Jehoiachin was taken into captivity, and Nebuchadnezzar chose to put a fellow by the name of Mataniah, who was also a son of Josiah, on the throne, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. So the Zedekiah we hear about in uh, the scriptures and in the book of Jeremiah, was placed on the throne there by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Zedekiah ruled from 598 to 586 B.C., and these were the last rulers of the nation of Judah. Jeremiah, in his prophecies, knew that the end was imminent. And he also knew, because God revealed to him, that the temple... Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. Indeed, Zedekiah was king when Nebuchadnezzar finally came in, sacked and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Um, Zedekiah, and the reason, by the way, by Nebuchadnezzar did that is because Zedekiah was rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. And so he came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And, uh, and Zedekiah fled, tried to escape, didn't get very far, was fairly quickly captured. Zedekiah was uh, held captive watching the execution of his sons before his eyes. Then the Babylonians burned out his eyes and then took him to Babylon where he died in prison. So that's the end of the monarchy of Judah and uh, a fairly inglorious ending, to say the least. So, Jeremiah chapter 1 gives us the, the details of the call of Jeremiah, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, 
the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So there you see the the the, the lineup of the kings who were ruling when when Jeremiah was prophesying. Beginning again, or looking at verse 4 again. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in about 627 during Josiah's reign. But actually, the scriptures tell us that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in eternity past. It's all part of the sovereign rule of God working out his plan and purpose. He knew Jeremiah and had called Jeremiah to this calling before Jeremiah was even conceived. Now this is, to me, this is a a point of great comfort. These things that happened to the nation did not happen by accident. They weren't arbitrary. They didn't catch God unaware. God is the sovereign ruler of all things. Understood and ordered these things to come to pass for his purposes and for his glory. And Jeremiah was just part of that calling. Now, it's also a comfort to me as I look at Jeremiah, and there are some ways that, as I've been studying Jeremiah a little more thoroughly in these last few weeks, I can identify with some of the some of the struggles that Jeremiah had and some of the issues that he went through. It's a comfort to know that God is in control. He was in control of Jeremiah, and I know that he's in control of me as well. That God is our God and, and we're not we're not just out there doing what we're doing, hoping that um, things will go according to the will of God. God has called us, his people, to serve him faithfully. And he knew us, the scriptures tell us elsewhere that he knew us before the foundations of the world. And like Jeremiah was called to this role, I believe you and I have callings as well. And God equips us and and makes it possible for us to do this. Of course, he witnessed the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, As we know, if we can just imagine what it might have been like for him, Jerusalem was a great city, and it was their holy city. And first of all, Jeremiah had prophesied that this was going to come to pass, and then he watched it happen. It must have been a chilling experience for him. Uh, It must have been um, profoundly difficult for him. No wonder he wept at what he saw, uh, what he anticipated happened, and then actually seeing God making good on his warnings and his, his promises. He was not taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Some of the prophets were, we know of. We know of Daniel, Daniel who was taken, taken to, to Babylon. And we, of course, Daniel's one of the favorite books of the, the Old Testament because of some of the extraordinary things that happened during Daniel's time. Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, uh, Jeremiah was not taken captive. He was left there in Israel. Instead, what happened is after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and destroyed it, many of the people from Judah went down to Egypt seeking asylum down there. Okay, like I said earlier, you know, they were always constantly trying to figure out, you know, what was the best the best way for them to go for their own safety and protection. Jeremiah warned them against going to Egypt. He he told them that this was not a good plan. And you'd have thought maybe by then they would have started listening to Jeremiah. Maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe he really is a prophet of God. But they didn't. They went down to Jerusalem, or excuse me, down to Egypt, and they took Jeremiah with him. And so Jeremiah didn't want to go to Egypt, but that's where he went. And it's interesting, archaeologists have have discovered, well, it's, it's always interesting when archaeology discovers that, wow, what the Bible said must have happened actually happened. And it happens all the time. And uh, some of us, you know, we're amused by that because, of course, we know. If the scriptures say this is what happened, <laughs> it's what happened. And, uh, and people, the doubters, 
um, uh, try, to, try to say couldn't have. This is ridiculous. Nothing like that ever happened. And then one day, somebody discovers a little piece of archaeological evidence. And, and so that's exactly what has happened in Egypt as well. The archaeologists have uncovered, and some time ago, I mean, this isn't brand new. This is old stuff. But they did uncover clear archaeological evidence that there was an influx of, of uh, people from the area of Judah at a, that would have happened about this time, pretty far down, actually pretty far down the Nile River, where they discovered a, a settlement. And perhaps that's where they dragged Jeremiah with them when they fled into Egypt. Anyway, we, we believe that uh, Jeremiah died there in Egypt once. Shortly after the sack of Jerusalem, we don't hear much anymore from Jeremiah. A little bit. He, he still had a few more things to say, which are recorded in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. But, but pretty much after that, we don't hear much from Jeremiah anymore. And it's, so it's, it's generally agreed upon that, that that's where Jeremiah died, down in Egypt. Now, there are some wonderful theories, if you're ever into to fiction, um, that people like to make up about where some of these Bible characters went. You might be interested to know that some people think Jeremiah ended up in uh, Ireland and probably was one of the first Irish missionaries, but that's, you know, that's a great stretch. I'm not buying it, but oh well. Probably died right there in Egypt. He, uh, his ministry, his total ministry lasted approximately 50 years. So that's quite a long time, really, for, for a prophet, and especially considering some of the stuff he had to deal with. That's quite a long time for Jeremiah. Um, most of his writings are contained in about a 40-year period. And he was from the tribe of Benjamin, as we read, and he was, a, he was called here in, the, in the, uh, uh, verse 5. He said, I appoint you a prophet to the nations. Okay? So there was a very real sense in which, which Jeremiah's prophecy was intended to go out to the nations. Of course, when, we, when the scriptures refer to the nations, referring to us, referring to the Gentiles. And so Jeremiah was intended by God to be a prophet to the Gentiles. Now, the question is then, in what sense is Jeremiah a prophet to the Gentiles? Because his audience were the priests and the religious leaders of Judah and the kings of Judah, primarily. But the scriptures are marvelous. And we will get to, um, in, in just a few minutes, as to how it was, in fact, that Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations. I have to confess, Jeremiah uh, made, a, made a, a declaration that has become one of our foundational, pivotal points of understanding about what it is to be a New Testament Christian. And so we see, and, and that applies to us as as the Gentiles, as the nations, okay? So we'll get to that in, in, uh, in, in just a few minutes here, but there's an interesting parallel also between Jeremiah and another guy who was from the tribe of Benjamin. In the New Testament, we discover this man named Saul, who later became Paul, who was also of the tribe of Benjamin, and God called him the apostle to the nations, and so Paul, who, who really was declared in Scripture to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles, kind of parallels in some way, um, some ways, the prophet, who was the prophet to the nations, and that would be Jeremiah. Well, in verse 6, here we have the response of Jeremiah to this, this calling, and his response was, oh yeah, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. No, actually, <laughs> the scriptures, uh, Jeremiah says, Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Interesting response. It reminds us of some other people in scripture. Just real quickly, is there anyone in particular you can think of off the top of your head? Moses, yeah, Moses. When, when Moses was called to go back to Egypt and be the spokesman, Moses' response was, I can't talk. I stutter. I can't do this. 
Well, God, when God calls a person to do a task, then God equips that person to do that task. And he says here, uh, God's response here in verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Of course, that reminds us of Isaiah and God's calling of Isaiah. Slightly different context in a slightly different way, and really a different response between Isaiah and Jeremiah, but still the same thing. God touches the mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, Okay, here's the language, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow. But he doesn't end there. He says, to build and to plant. So Jeremiah's mission was similar to Isaiah's in bringing a message of judgment and destruction against the people of God. The message of both of these prophets was that God was going to pull down, tear down, so that he could build, plant, and restore. God God didn't lose control of what was taking place in the fulfillment of his intended purposes, which we saw back, alluded to initially back with, with Adam and Eve and Satan in the garden, and reiterated again with Abraham and, uh, and with the others all the way through Scripture, even, even, even uh, uh, Noah, when, when God declared that Noah's task was similar to, to Adam's task, remember, to, to fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And declare God's truth. It's always been God's intention to fill the earth with His glory. It's always been his, his intention to do that. It still is to this day. But the, the tool that he, God has chosen to fill the earth with his glory with is his people. It's his people who are called to fill the earth with the glory of God. And that's what God is intending right here. He's going to tear down, he's going to destroy in order that he can plant and rebuild, grow up a faithful people. Of God, That's always been his intent. And so Isaiah and Jeremiah both had that similar message that was given to them. Jeremiah was called particularly, as I said, to the priests and religious guilds of his day, more than the royal court, although he certainly did speak and anger <laughs> the, uh, the royal court. So the book of Jeremiah, as I mentioned, is not arranged in what we would call logical order. It's not written chronologically. If you try to follow it that way, you'll just get frustrated. Rather, it's written thematically. Obviously, Jeremiah knew that God's judgment against Judah was just, that God was righteous in his judgment against Judah because the people had abandoned God. No longer would God deal with them then in mercy. They now had to bear the curses of their violation of their covenant relationship. So we skip over to chapter 7. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. I'm just going to read quickly through this passage and then make some comments. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, or excuse me, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Okay, so you can see the focus here is upon, it's, it, it's upon the religious people. The Lord's house. And proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. Don't trust in these lies, these deceptive words. What are they? This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. 
the temple of the Lord. Now, interesting words. What are deceptive about them? Well, what we understand is deceptive about them is they were taking great confidence and great hope in the fact that they were supposedly trusting in the temple. Their their trust was in the church, as it were. And of course, in our day, we know of those people who believe they're fine with God just because they're in a church or in the church. And that's a deceptive thing. It was deceptive to them because they had abandoned God's ways, yet they were taking great comfort in being in the temple of the Lord. The reason it's repeated three times, of course, we know in Scripture, in biblical literature, the repetition is there for emphasis. This is a huge point. They were clearly basing all of their hope of God's blessing merely on the fact that they were so-called the people of God. They had the temple of the Lord, and they were basing it upon that. But there's more to being the people of God than simply having the temple in place. As Jeremiah definitely points out to them, verse 5, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in the place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods? that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I give you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Shiloh was the place of worship prior to the monarchies. And Shiloh was ruins. It was a devastation. It was a holy place prior to the time of the the kings. And because they had rebelled against God and gone after uh, idols, worshiping idols, Baals, And others, God had devastated that place, and now he's making this statement. Those of you who are trusting in the temple, I'm going to do to the temple what I did to Shiloh because you consistently and persistently just simply reject the things you are called to do. That's the message that Jeremiah is giving through throughout there. Now, one of the roles, of course, of the prophet was to be a reformer. I love I love church history, and I and I just enjoy immensely the various individuals God has raised up throughout history to perform various roles. And one of my favorite times in history, of course, is the Reformation. And I greatly appreciate the reformers and the courage that they had in 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 declaring the word of God into their culture, in order to change the culture, starting with starting with the church. But brothers and sisters, not ending at the church, it impacts culture. When the church is doing the task of the church, the communities are impacted throughout history. And of course, that's what the reformers did. And that's one of the calls of the prophets, to be a reformer as well, to declare to them what they ought to do. Now, they did it in a warning sense. This is what you need to do. And if you will do this, then God will have mercy. However, they said, since you will not, here is what God is going to do. And Jeremiah was fulfilling that role as a reformer. He was quite a revolutionary, actually. They did not want to hear these words. 
They already were worried about Babylon and they were worried about Egypt and they didn't want to hear their, you know, this prophet, one of them, telling them, oh, you don't even need to worry about them. Worry about God. He's the one you must worry about because he, ha- he raises up kings and puts them down. He's the one who, who orders the events of the world. By the way, we have that same kind of issue today, don't we, brothers and sisters, with the economy and with world politics, the global world in which we live, and all those kinds of things that we're to be engaged in as believers. I'm, I'm absolutely persuaded that's part of our cultural mandate. Nevertheless, the one we need to be concerned about that we are obedient to is God. He is the one that we will ultimately answer to. And he is the one who blesses us according to the infinite riches in glory. And, of course, Jeremiah was, was declaring that. Their Old Testament worship had degenerated into ritualism, formalism, and syncretism, blending the various pagan religions of their culture, blending it into the pure religion that they were intended to follow. And so Jeremiah rebukes the people for putting their trust in the temple building and not in the Lord. There was no more incendiary message Jeremiah could have delivered to the priests than the destruction of the temple. That is, is, is the most incendiary thing he could have said to the priests. And of course, they responded to that as you might expect. Now, as is often the case... I have rambled nearly endlessly, and we're just basically almost out of time here. And so I apologize that there's a lot more in here, (laughs) in this book, that you're going to have to dig in and enjoy for yourselves. I just want to real quickly then, just real quickly summarize a few ideas about Jeremiah and about his message. You'll have to just trust me that they're from the book of Jeremiah. Feel free to go back and prove it for yourselves. You know, search the scriptures diligently to see if these things are true. But, but right now you've got to take my word for it because I've got to move along quickly. Okay? Some of the things that Jeremiah did, he, he used, he, those of us who are, some, if there's any teachers here, I'm a teacher. And so one of the things we like to do is use illustrations. Jeremiah used various illustrations to try to get the people to understand and pay attention to the lesson that he did. And so he talked about the illustration of what is called the linen belt in chapter 13 of Jeremiah where he had he wore a linen belt and he left it for a time under a rock and when he put it back on it was it was filthy and useless and of course the the uh, uh the message to them was they were they were the linen belt as a nation they were corrupted and and uh and filthy and useless and they needed to uh, they needed to be remade, reformed. Um, he gives the illustration of the potter's house in chapter 18. A fascinating story where the potter messes around with the pottery and has the right to do it because the pottery is bad. And so the potter can do it. And, and he goes and visits the potter's house and he sees the potter doing this. And of course, this reminds us of later on, Paul, when he's talking about in Romans chapter 9, where God, as the potter, has every right to do with us, the clay, as he sees fit. And, but but uh, Jeremiah refers to that. He also um, uses a, 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 an illustration of a, of a potter's earthen vessel, uh, an earthen vessel that he throws down and it breaks, illustrating what's going to happen to the nation. His practical illustrations, however have no effect on the people. And Jeremiah laments in chapter 20 in great detail. He realizes, Jeremiah does, he's tired of doing this, by the way. Jeremiah grows weary of going before people every day and declaring the words of God and their reaction is anger and abuse and even physical abuse. He's tired of this. And so he laments this, what God has called him to. He says, he says, I, 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 uh, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And yet he goes on to say, but when I had the words of God and they burned in my heart and I had to declare them. And perhaps some of us have been in that kind of experience in our lives as Christians. I have. 
where I just think, I can't do this anymore. Not be a Christian, that's fine. I just can't be faithful and proclaim God's truth anymore. It's too hard. And then I reflect upon what we have, the message that we have, and the truth that we believe, and the glories of the gospel, and it burns in our hearts. And we cannot turn our back on that, but rather we press on, continue on. One of the marks of a, of a true saint is perseverance. And so Jeremiah had that experience as well. Jeremiah said he can't fight God. He just can't fight against God. God overwhelms him, even though he suffers at the hands of the people. Every day, Jeremiah chapter uh, 20 Verse 8 tells us, Every day he endured the reproach and the derision of his own people. He was cast into prison. Indeed, his very life was threatened on several occasions, even by his own family. And yet he pressed on, and, uh, and he could not abrogate his role as a prophet. He pours out his heart to God as he struggles with his calling as a prophet. He communicates with God in prayer regularly. He... he uh, he goes ahead and he fights against the false prophets. Let me real quickly um, bring us to the end here, since we're, we're about out of time. The message of Jeremiah, though, is, is a declaration that even though there is coming judgment, there's always the evidence in the scriptures of the mercy of God. God is merciful. He is a God of mercy. And so he talks about the coming restoration. But there's a, there's a significant change that takes place in this coming re, uh, rest, reforma- or restoration. Jeremiah illustrates this by going out and buying. When, when the land is being destroyed and they're about to, it's all about to collapse, he goes out and he buys a field. Okay, now, you know, we would say, from, a, from an economic standpoint, if, if a community is dying and, and it appears there, I was noticing in one of the magazines recently of various communities in the United States that want, some of them here, three of them, I think, in California, three of the top ten, these, these planned developments where these guys were going to go in and build these marvelous homes and all the people were going to come and live there and the economy tanked. And so now we have their ghost towns is what they are. Nobody lives there. Nobody wants to touch them. And so we would think, that's probably not a great investment to go out into the desert somewhere where, where they had all these plans and, and to, to buy this plot of land. But that's what Jeremiah does, indicating his absolute confidence that God is going to make good on his promise to restore the land. And so he buys this field, and the promise is that God will raise Jerusalem out of the ashes. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, we see this, this promise of the coming Messiah. Let me read that to you real quickly. And the new covenant. He says, um, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And so even in the midst of this this declaration of coming, impending judgment upon Jerusalem and the nation of Judah, there's this promise that he is going to raise up the Savior. This is the Messiah that they're looking for. He will raise them up. He is the, 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 he is the uh, Lord, our righteousness. And of course, we know that he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in this sense, then, that we recognize that Jeremiah is the, the prophet to the nations. Because, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the salvation for all men. And, and, and his nation, his people, are no longer restricted to a, a, a physical nation. It's, it's not a particular race of people. It's not those who hold to just, you know, the, the Old Testament law. But rather, the gospel message is to all who would repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
as Lord and Savior. One of the thrills that I have when I travel to Africa a couple times a year is meeting our brothers and sisters in this entirely different culture, entirely different land, but those who love the Lord Jesus. They are our brothers and our sisters. Incidentally, they wanted me to tell you when I came back that they're praying for you. And, and so it, it's nice to know that we have brothers and sisters in Uganda who are praying for us here in San Diego. The theme of Jeremiah is clear. Judgment for sin is coming. Repentance will only delay the inevitable. But a day is coming when God will make a new covenant with his people, a day when he will write his laws on their hearts, and they will know him. We read about this in chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And this is the remarkable change. The radical newness of the new covenant is described here in verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the last of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Brothers and sisters, he he is referring to today. This is the covenant that God has made, the new covenant he has made with his people, us. That he he has written his law upon our hearts and all the members of this covenant community, all the members of this covenant community know the Lord. And so it's not, it's not like the old covenant that is broken. This is an everlasting covenant. It's described for us in Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10, where the writer of Hebrews describes how it's the, it's the work of Jesus Christ that secures the blessings of the new covenant that you and I uh, get to enjoy. It's made possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the, the, the exhortation then, co- then comes to us in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. We won't read it, but it is this. The exhortation to us then is this. Because of this covenant that God has made with us, let us be faithful, let us continue to serve Him, let us trust in His promises, May God fill us with his holiness and his righteousness, and may we glorify him within the context of our community. We're salt and light, as Pastor preached a few weeks ago. May we, may we live out the effects of that covenant. Well, thanks. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, uh, thank you for the book of Jeremiah and, and the truths that are contained in it and the interesting story that we can look upon. And I know that we've really rapidly went through a few concepts, but I pray, Lord, that uh, these truths may encourage our hearts to be faithful servants of you and to allow you to have all the glory in our lives. And now, Father, be with us uh, the remainder of our time as we worship you uh, this morning, and may you receive the glory for that. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.